good to be here sharing God's word, sharing your ministry with you. Our scripture today is from James chapter 1, verses 19 to 27. It's on the screen. It's also in your Bibles. I'll be reading it, and then we'll be paying close attention to it almost verse by verse as we go. This is God's word. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant or rapidly growing wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, so deceiving yourselves. But if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained by the world. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. What I want to do is uh, give you a little preview of what we're going to do today, just very briefly. This passage is about true religion, and therefore it's also about false religion. And the question is, what is true religion? And the passage begins by telling you true religion hears the word of God, lets it take root in our heart and changes us. We are transformed so that we can then pass three tests that show our religion is pure. And that is we're unstained by the world, care for widows and orphans in their distress, and we control our tongue. Those are the three tests. But the problem is that while we need to pass those three tests, the closer we look, we also realize we cannot. And so that's the mystery of the passage, as clear as it is. Nonetheless, we do need to talk about true religion, and as we do, we need, to, um, we need to understand how easy it is to have false religion. I was once on a mission trip, part of a large mission team in South America, and um, we were staying in the same house. We spent hours and hours together as we did our work by day and then uh, had meals and talked at night. And there was one man who stood out above all the other members of the team. He was uh, the guy we spotted when we got up, bleary-eyed, drinking a little coffee, he was, he was reading his Bible and praying on the porch over there. And, you know, we saw him do that. And one night he said to me, Dan, I am so excited to go to bed each night because I'm that much closer to waking up and having my time alone with God. And I felt like a spiritual dung beetle next to this lion of the faith. And then a couple months later, I found out that this spiritual lion was in trouble he was in trouble for getting drunk, for getting into a fight into a bar, in a bar, wrecking his car, and a whole lot more. And I found out that he'd not only done it this time, but he'd been doing it for years, and he just finally got caught. And so our spiritual giant, our lion of the faith, was a giant hypocrite. This discovery that there's a lot of religious hypocrisy shouldn't surprise anybody, shouldn't surprise us here in Nashville right now. It certainly wouldn't have surprised the apostles. 
The Apostle Paul said, we all need to know that religion can be cheap. He said, keeping God's commandments is what counts. He also said, what counts is a new creation, that is to say, a changed life. Now, James wants, similarly, a devotion to God to show itself in concrete ways, controlling your tongue, caring for the poor and the needy, the widow and the orphan, and staying away from the corruptions of the world. Those are the three tests. Talk is cheap. James says, deeds. I want to see deeds. I want to see things change. This is actually, I know you're studying the book of James. This is actually a theme that runs throughout James. For example, near the end of the book, he says, anyone who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Now, this emphasis on doing is something we like, many people like about James. They go, give me the book of James. Tell me what to do. Give me a clear command and I'll do it. We love the clarity and the authority of the book of James. Clear, graphic, strong. I want to do something for God. Give me the book of James, some people say. James says that's fine, but be careful that as you do, your doing is rightly directed, that you're listening and you're changing, not just resolving to do. James says, the word of God is like a mirror. And when you look at a mirror, the question is always this, do you look and simply gaze? Or do you look and amend what is missing in the morning? You know how we wake up in the morning. Our hair isn't quite the way it's supposed to be. It's got gaps, there's spots. I just got a haircut, so it's harder to mess up my hair. But you know, beforehand, your hair does odd things in the morning. And wouldn't it be sad if we looked intently in the mirror and did nothing about what's missing in us? So we should look, we should hear the word, and we should act. And not just act in some narrow way, but as you run through James chapter 1, which I know you've been doing in recent weeks, he says, if you're in a trial, you should ask God for wisdom and he'll grant it. And he grants it, generally speaking, through the word. And if you're in a trial and you realize you failed the trial, you should run to the gospel, the word of truth. That's chapter 1, verse 18. And you should receive the passage we just read. You should receive the word implanted in us, not just a word ringing in your ears, but something that goes deep. And you should be, verse 22 of our passage says, doers of the word. This is who we are. James says everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, angry because man's anger doesn't bring about the righteousness of God, and we know that's true. How easy it is to be angry and unrighteous, how hard to be angry and righteous. It's true, once in a great while, our anger is right, rightly placed. But the truth of the matter is, most of the time, our anger is completely misplaced. We're angry at what? A pokey driver making us late. At, at lights poorly synchronized, making us late. If we'd left earlier, it would have been okay. We get angry at referees who make calls that we think doom our team to eternal ruin. And, and we're angry at the referee. Rarely is our anger righteous. Anger makes it hard to get along with other people. It makes it hard for us to go along with God. So put away anger, petty, selfish, intolerant, and Put on ears that are willing to hear what God is saying. Now, the way James says it 
kind of bother some people sometimes. In verse 21 it says, put away all filth, moral filth, and receive the word of God. We think to ourselves, doesn't that go the other way around? Doesn't it go, we receive the word of God and then we put away filth? But what I'm taking it is, how I'm taking it is like this. James is describing the way people actually feel as they go through life. Why do people turn to the Word of God for the first time? They generally turn to the Word of God because they look at their life and they say, my life is a wreck. I am not living the way I want to live. I need to clean my life up somehow. And, and then they turn to some friend or some source and they might turn to scriptures and say, now that I've resolved I need to clean up my life, I'm going to go to the Word, I'm going to listen to the Word, and, and maybe I'll change. In other words, a desire to live better given by God to be sure. But a a desire to live better is what drives us to the Word, and then once we read the Word, then the Word does its work in us and gives us new birth. It sits down its roots in our soul. It's implanted in us, and then we're able to put off wickedness. So James says in our first couple of verses, receive the implanted Word. He does not say, Work hard at getting rid of sin. He says, receive the implanted word, and when that word goes into your heart, then it will drive out sin, and you will move toward the righteousness that we desire. And we need that because, James says, wickedness is rampant. Now, the word rampant is, is used of weeds in the Bible. Wickedness grows like a weed. Do you have lawn services at your house? I know we don't think of lawn services in the month of February, but maybe you've signed up. Maybe they're going to put out the first pre-emergent. Most years I have a lawn service. And one year when I had a lawn service, I, I, things were going so poorly in my lawn, I felt I had to call the people up. And I, and I called them and I said, you know, I have to admit that my grass is doing reasonably well this year, but so is everything else. The dandelions are particularly vibrant this spring, and the clover is evenly distributed throughout my yard. And I'm delighted to find that purplish tinge of the, of the strain of crabgrass that you've put in my yard uh, finding its way here and there coloring my yard. And, and the customer service representative said, yes, it's been a bad year for weeds. Well, you know, every year is a bad year for weeds, and every year is a bad year for sin. Sin is rampant. It grows profusely, and the only way we can get rid of sin is by receiving the word implanted in us. James says that can save our souls. What does that mean? Well, to be saved has three time frames. We're saved in the past because the work of Christ finished on the cross, which we celebrate every week in the Lord's Supper. Salvation is past, accomplished once for all by Christ. But salvation is also future. We'll never be completely saved until the day when Christ returns and all of our battle with sin and brokenness and evil in the world and evil in ourself is finally gone. And salvation is also a present event, a present reality, which we work out day by day. It's past, present, and future. And James mostly has his eyes on salvation present. Living out our faith today. And we live out our faith today, James says, by attending to the Word. The Word planted in us saves our souls. The Word planted in us by the Holy Spirit changes our life. It's a large church. In large churches, the uh, ministry of the Word has a, has a 
a flavor that's a little bit different from other people, other places, other churches. Because in a large church, people come to church and they sit up there somewhere. I see you. I wonder why people sit in the dead last row of the balcony all the way up there. Now, I don't, that fellow up there seems very friendly and he has a water bottle and he has a nice smile. But some people sit up there because they don't want to be known. They don't want, I'm not speaking of you in, in particular, but about people who sit there in general. Large churches attract people who want to be anonymous. They don't want the pastor to know who they are. They don't want the elders to know who they are. They want to come and listen and leave. And the funny thing is, sometimes all they want to do is come, hear some music, hear a prayer, and leave, hear a sermon, and leave. And, and somehow that, that feeble desire to just kind of drop in leads to eternal salvation. The person up there has no idea who the preacher is, whether they're the regular or a guest, and they don't want to know. But the Word of God penetrates in their heart. Like when people listen on the radio and they stop their car and pull over and receive Christ as their Lord and Savior, which still happens today. The Word of God has a power, but what you have to do is hear it. You have to receive it into your heart. You have to gaze into it and let it transform you. The Word of God is a mirror, James says. In the Word of God, you look at the Word and you see your soul. You see what's wrong with your soul as well as what's right with your soul, but you have to gaze at it. What does that mean? To gaze at the Word is to read it slowly, to read it two, three, four, five times, the same passage, letting it sink in, is to pray over it say, Lord, what do you want to say to me by this Word today? I'm going to receive it. It's it's to go into your yard or go for a run afterward and meditate on what you just read. And it's, it's to try, it's to think to yourself, how could I live this? What would I do? How would I change if I took this word seriously? That's looking into the word as a mirror. Then you look into it as a mirror, you see your soul, and you want to become, James says, a doer of the word or become a doer of the word, someone who doesn't deceive yourself or defraud yourself by saying, oh, I read the Bible, I did my spiritual exercises, and I'm done. I read seven verses of the Bible, read a chapter of the Bible, I'm done. That's deceiving yourself. And you're defrauding yourself, you're robbing yourself of what you could have through the riches of the word. Don't deceive yourself, don't defraud yourself. Be a doer, become a doer. Gaze into the word. Let it reveal your sin. And when we get up in the morning and we see that disaster in the mirrors, most of us see a disaster. Some of you are fine without any help. But most of us see a disaster. You want to do something. You see a pimple. You see a scab. You see a wrinkle. You want to put some creams on. You want to shave. You want to put on makeup. Most people don't do both. Maybe a couple of you do. You amend. You amend what is wrong. But most people gaze carelessly. I had to put on my microphone, and I started to put my microphone on this morning and stick it in my shirt. But, of course, that's not quite as cool as, you know, putting it back here, then nobody can see it. But I unbuttoned three buttons, and like 10 seconds before I stood up, I still had a button unbuttoned, so my T-shirt was out. And would, how silly it would be to stand up to speak and have your button unbuttoned. Look at the word and see what's there. Amend what's wrong. 
When I was in seminary, I had a, a pastor who was a bit of a mentor to some of the students who went to his church. And he would tell us about his personal life. And among the things he told us was that he had very unruly hair and he had to work very hard to tame it. And his hair was so wild, he told his interns, I was one of his interns, that he sometimes had to put a barrette in his hair to try to tame the mop. And so one day, having heard this, I was to visit with him an older woman in a nursing home, and he had the barrette in his hair. And I thought to myself, okay, the woman in the nursing home, you know, she's maybe not entirely with it. She won't mind. There's a brett in his hair. And I'm a lowly intern. He doesn't care. He's got to get his hair tamed down for something important later on in the day, right? And so I didn't say anything. And then he told me later on that that night he'd gotten home and his wife had said to him, Harold, what are you doing with a barrette in your hair? He had gone the entire day. He had seen 200 people with a silver barrette appropriate for a 12-year-old girl in his hair. How ridiculous that is. Friends, how ridiculous it is to look in a mirror and not amend what is wrong with us physically. Far more ridiculous to look in the Word as a mirror which can bring us life and not amend what is wrong with us spiritually. Word of God is a mirror. It's also a law that gives liberty, James says. It's the law of liberty, the law that gives liberty. Now, we think of laws, the laws of God, as restricting us. There are certain things we can't do. Thou shalt not. But the law consistently also liberates us when we practice it. Think of something as simple as keeping your word, doing what you say. So if you do what you say, and in your family your children do what you say, what joy and liberty there is. If your child says to you, I'm going to soccer practice, and they go to soccer practice every time they say they will, that liberates you. And if your child is starting to drive the car and they say, Dad, I'll be back at 10.30, and they're back at 10.30, that is so liberating to know we can trust, we just say what you say, we can live our lives. But how woeful it is, how constricting it is when your child says, I'm going to play soccer, and you find out they didn't. How miserable it is when your child says, I'm going to be back at 10.30, and they're back at 12.15. The law, which says tell the truth to each other, liberates us for peace and for harmony and for joy in the family, and it does so in so many other ways. Now, that's the word. That's what the word does. We should be doers of the word. We should do the word. That's what proves that we have true religion, according to James. Now, true religion is kind of a strange phrase. We don't talk about religion. In fact, some of us probably think of the word religion as a a negative word, a dirty word. So when, it's political season, so when a politician says, I'm a Christian, but my religion is my own private affair, what do we think to ourselves? We think, this guy has no testimony. This guy's just saying he's a Christian because he feels like he has to say he's a Christian. So religion for many of us is negative, but for James, true religion is a positive thing. And again, there are three tests of it, controlling the tongue, looking after widows and orphans in their distress, and staying unstained by the world. Those are the three. So, of course, the Christian faith is doctrinal. It's Christ-centered. But at the moment, James says, let's focus on the behavior now, when I say behavior, I don't mean in a narrow sense of controlling your tongue simply. 
and simply caring for widows and orphans. Behavior includes all of a changed life, mercy and love and kindness and patience that reflect the mercy and the kindness and the love and the patience and the forgiveness of Christ himself. But James says there are three tests, and they are controlling the tongue first. James has a very strong interest in controlling the tongue. Chapter 1, if you've been here through the weeks, as your pastor has walked through it, he's talked to you about James 1 and what it says about our speech. And James 2 and 3 and 4 continue the theme. For example, in chapter 2, he criticizes those who flatter the rich and humiliate the poor. A little bit later in chapter 2, he he denounces the careless speech that says, I wish you well. May you live long and prosper, but does nothing to help the person in need. In chapter 3, James deplores the tongue that praises God and curses men and women made in the image of God. In chapter 4, he warns people about the danger of judging and slandering. James is very intent on the idea that we should control our tongues. Control the tongue is one of the signs of true religion. The second sign of true religion is caring for orphans and widows in their distress. Now, orphans and widows is described different ways in the Bible. Sometimes it's widows and orphans, sometimes orphans and widows, sometimes the fatherless and the widow. And there's a great emphasis. It appears many times in the Old Testament to care for these people, the poorest of the poor, the weakest of the weak, those who cannot give you anything back. When you care for a widow and the orphan, you're not caring for somebody who can return the favor. This is a pure gift. They're poor, and they're probably going to stay that way. So when you're kind to them, you're really acting graciously as God does. And in fact, the Bible says repeatedly that God is the father of the fatherless. He is a defender of the widow. He watches over them, Psalm 146 says, and therefore we should watch over them. God curses those who oppress and abuse and take advantage of the poor who can't defend themselves, Deuteronomy chapter 27. It is godlike to care for the poor, the widow, the orphan. He sustains the widow. He sustains the orphan. Therefore, we should sustain the widow and the orphan. I have to ask you the simple question, do you do this? Do you do it? Do you do it individually and do you do it corporately? Do you have a neighbor who's a widow? Do you care for her? Are there people in your neighborhood who don't have a daddy or don't have a mommy or people in your school Do you care for them? It costs about, I don't know what it costs here, but in St. Louis it costs about $800 a year to have cable TV. It costs about $500 a year to take care of an orphan in the third world at a Christian orphanage where they get food, clothing, shelter, and biblical instruction. No one in this nation who has cable TV should ever say, I can't afford to take care of the orphans. You can You can. And this is not simply a a personal matter. It's also a corporate matter. John Calvin said that the true Christian watches for and defends the public interest. That means that we care for widows and orphans individually, and we also try to do things in our culture and our land that makes it less likely that widows and orphans will suffer and will be cared for. This is the second sign of true religion. 
The third sign of true religion is that we are unstained by the world. And what does that mean? Well, it means that this world, this age, has a sort of a system of thought and values and habits and ways of doing things, and we should recognize that those ways often contradict, indeed sharply contradict, the ways of God, and we should understand that the easiest thing in the world is to do, to think, to act like the people around us. What is happening around us slowly comes to seem normal, and what is normal slowly comes to seem good and right. Resist, says James. Resist. Don't be stained by the world. That does not mean you get rid of the media you can lay hold of. It does not mean you turn off your TV and your, and your computer. It means you're in the world and yet resisting so you're not stained by it. As Paul says elsewhere, test all things. Hold fast to what is good. That's how we stay unstained by the world. That's true religion. Now again, for many of us, religion is a negative word. Bono said, religion is what is left when the Holy Spirit leaves the room. A lot of us feel that way. For a lot of us, religion is smells and bells and chimings and processions and monkish robes and it's the show of religion. It's a, it's a designer life with a dash of transcendence, but nothing of Christ in it. It's religious activities, and there are a lot of religious activities that lead us away from God. And so we, use, we commonly use the word religion for that. But James says there is such a thing as true religion, and he's saying to us something like this. Does the show of religion scare you? No show of religion scares me. Does the public manifestation of religion scare you and make you think there's hypocrisy here? No public manifestation scares me. It's got to show. It's interesting he gives these three tests of true religion that are visible or audible. Control your tongue, care for widows and orphans, unstained by the world. These are the tests. And he says, become doers. That is to say, make it manifest that you are caring for the ways of God. It should be visible. Now there's one more thing I need to tell you. When you trace out the book of James, he not only says there are three tests of true religion, he also says, and by the way, none of you keep them. Control the tongue? Would everybody here who's learned how to control their tongue please stand? What he says is, in James chapter 3, the tongue is a fire set on set on fire by hell itself. He says, with the tongue we praise God one minute, one minute and we curse humans the next. And he says, no human can tame the tongue. Therefore, we fail the first test. How about caring for widows and orphans in their distress? Well, he paints the picture in chapter two. He says, imagine you see somebody hungry and poorly dressed. And he says, this is what we do. We tend to say to them, be warm and well-fed. You walk up to somebody who's kind of skinny and you say, Casey, you're losing weight, bro. You need to eat more. The problem is, Casey doesn't have any food. And to say to Casey, you need to eat more, is completely worthless when he's poor. And when you see somebody shivering in the cold with a little scanty jacket, and you say, man, you should dress better in the wintertime, the problem is, he doesn't have a coat. And we don't pause long enough to ask the question, is that person skinny because of lack of food or are they shivering because of lack of clothing? 
We think we've done something well when we say, be warmed and well-fed, which means take care of yourself because I'm not. Or it could be read this way, may God feed you, may God clothe you, because once again, I'm not. I'll be praying for you. So we don't care for widows and orphans in their distress. And third, we aren't unstained by the world. We are stained by the world. I don't even need to prove it to you. James says, listen, why do you quarrel? He says, you quarrel because you want and you can't get what you want. Your desires are so worldly, so stained, that you don't even, you don't even pray about them because you know that if you did, God would have to say no. And so we're stained by the world. So what do we have then? We have three tests of true religion that really count. They, they're good and they matter and they're valid and they're important to God. And then he says, pass them, please, but you can't pass them. And that leads us to the gospel according to James. He's saying two things. He's saying, I want you to have true religion. I want you to read the word, listen to the word, let it take root in your heart, meditate on it, pray over it, do it. Do it as best you can, and when you fail, keep on reading, and I'll tell you what I have to say for that. What he says is found in chapter 4. He says, God gives more grace. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If you're humble enough to say, I don't pass the test, good, then you're finally in the right place. He says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. And that's what the Lord's table is about, which we celebrate week by week. We say, Lord, I have your word, I love your word, I love your truth. I really want to do it. I really want to live it. I really want to have true religion. And the more I strive, the more I know my need. And the more I know my need, the more I seek grace. And the more I seek grace, the more I seek Christ who gave himself for us because he loved us. So let's live true religion. Let's know we can't. Let's turn to the Lord for the remedy given to us in Christ, received by faith. Let's pray.